obsessive focus on quantity over quality in yeah. our education system or, or even in nutrition research. Yes. So they're always look, the idea is like a carbohydrate is a carbohydrate yeah. no matter what food it comes from and Very a fat dangerous. is a fat no matter yeah. what. And so you get then this really fattish kind of focus on low fat you yeah. know, for, for so long. And then it, now it's low carb and everyone should be on low carb yes. and keto. And it's just instead of looking at like what is the quality of the food and yeah. to, you know, use your terminology, what information does it provide? Yeah. Um, I think that's where, uh, to your point, nutrition research and nutrition education has gone really off the track. Welcome to Living 4D with Paul Check. Today's guest is the New York Times bestselling author of The Paleo Cure, Chris Kresser. Chris is known for his in-depth research uncovering myths and misconceptions in modern medicine and providing natural health solutions with proven results. He is the co-director of the California Center for Functional Medicine and the CEO of Cressa Institute, an organization dedicated to reinventing healthcare and reversing chronic disease by training healthcare practitioners in functional and evolutionary medicine. So, Chris, welcome to Living 4D with Paul Check. Thank you, Paul. Pleasure, Pleasure to be here. Yeah, thank you. And, and uh, we had a great uh, pre-podcast uh, meeting because I really mm. felt like I needed to get to know you a little bit better. And I found your story fascinating. So without a whole bunch of preparation or technical uh, notes to guide me, I would just say, tell us, first of all, uh, uh, if you maybe can just encapsulate what it is that you're doing and teaching, and then let's get into some of the history of how you got there. Sure. Yeah. So I'm a co-director of a functional medicine clinic in California, California Center for Functional Medicine. We have uh, five clinicians and um, health coach, and uh, we're helping people to address the root cause of their of their disease. Yeah, good. And, and uh, we work with people from all over the country, and. Um, that's uh, one part of what I do. And another thing that I do is I train doctors and other healthcare practitioners in functional medicine, have a one-year training program. And then uh, last year, we launched a program for training health coaches. Right. I'm a big believer, as we talked about, in the importance of behavior change. Yeah. Um, uh, pretty much all, most care is self-care. Most healthcare is self-care. Yes. You, know, you might spend an hour in the doctor's office a few times a year, but for the most part, we're at home making decisions about what we eat, what, yeah. what we drink, how we sleep, how we manage stress, all of that stuff. And yeah. so I, after you know, years of practicing as a clinician, um, really came to realize that if we don't address that piece of things, yeah. it's, it's all for naught. Yeah. I think you and I found that in common through the you know, walking the the path of the therapist, the clinician, yep. whichever end of it you are, meaning therapist or doctor, yep. if you're paying attention, you come to the realization that um, quick fixes aren't quick fixes. Right. Yeah. Change is hard. Uh, if it was easy, we wouldn't be in the situation that we're in right now. Yes. Yeah. Um, and it's not a one-time thing. You know, it's like sometimes we change and then we we fall back into our own habitual patterns and we need to change again. And so, um, but there isn't a lot of support for change, the kind of changes that we need to make in our culture. We were talking about this on the phone. Uh, The CDC, Centers for Disease Control, which, you know, whatever we think of (laughs) what they're doing, they have statistics that suggest that about 6% of Americans follow the top five health behaviors. And these are pretty basic things. We're not talking about like intermittent fasting and yeah. keto. We're talking about maintaining a healthy weight, yeah. uh, getting enough sleep, not drinking excessively, not smoking uh, cigarettes, and uh, you know, just eating a, what, what's kind of loosely called a healthy, a healthy diet. diet. Yeah. So 6% yeah. of people are consistently engaging in those five behaviors. You know, I'm curious... If you had to guesstimate what percentage of that, of what what percentage of the ninety four percent are not eating it because they've been socially conditioned by the mass media to think that they're eating what they should be eating, right? Without realizing that that's not really what they should be eating. Yeah, that's a good question. I would say, you know, some percentage. I, I if I just had to guess off the top of my head, maybe twenty or twenty five percent. 
But I don't think anyone believes that cheese doodles and big gulps and candy bars are, are healthy. Uh, you know, yeah. the, the folks that are eating that stuff, it's, yeah. it's more of a, it's not an information problem. It's yeah. in, in those cases, it's just, we have like our, our bodies and our brains are hardwired to live in an environment of food scarcity. Uh-huh. That's how we evolved. You know, for most of our evolutionary history, the problem was not enough food, not too much food. And yeah. so we have, we're programmed to seek out highly rewarding, palatable, calorie-dense foods. That's, yeah. And that helped us survive in a natural environment. Those are the people that pass their genes down to us. The people who are best at finding those foods pass their genes down to us. Um, but that backfires when you can, when we live in a world where you can go down to 7-Eleven or Costco, uh, in, you know, 24 hours a day, seven days a week and get food. And so we have to overcome this natural programming that causes us to seek out these calorie dense foods in order to, um, you know, eat a healthier diet. And, and that when you're swimming against, when you're fighting against that hardwired biological programming, it's, it can be challenging. Yeah. So. It's interesting you know, that you shared there that we come from an environment where there's not a lot of food availability. But I think a lot of that depends on what time period you're speaking of. Uh, you know, I, I grew up on Vancouver Island. My father's a hunter. I used to go out hunting and I've been around lots of natives because yeah. there's a lot of them there. Yeah. And I've studied, uh, you know, nutrition and the history of nutrition worldwide and primal diets. And if you read the book, for example, Metabolic Man, 10,000 Years from Eden by Charles Heiser Worthen, he shows you right in there that the average tribe could meet their food needs from hunting and gathering in three and a half hours a day. And they spent the rest of the time doing crafts, educating the children and enjoying themselves. So though I appreciate that perspective, and I've heard it over and over again, I think without some kind of qualification, it actually leads people to think that because what I see happening from that mindset is tons of young people are now getting heavy into fasting, but they haven't really learned how to eat yet. Yeah. Yeah. I would say, um, I mean, I'd say it's pretty clear that our, our genes and our biology are programmed to seek out calorie dense and rewarding food. Sure. Yeah. So no matter when it is, <laughs> even when you're in a natural environment yeah. and there, and there's food abundance, those foods tend to be nutrient dense, but yeah. not super calorie dense, like meat, animal products. When you hunt, it's very rich in nutrients. Mm -hmm. Um, but it's not like, uh, drinking a big gulp where you can no, get a no, massive no, yeah. number of calories yeah, in a very short yeah, that's, period of time. That's, that's not, you see, for me, that's not even food. That's it's, a, yeah, I that, that's, a, that. that's a problem. You know, for me, food, what, what, what are the big problems I see is that people largely due to the nutrition education system that we have worldwide yeah. and calorie being how much uh, energy it takes to raise a, what is it, a certain amount of water, right. one degree centigrade. I can't remember, burn calorimeters, how they came up with that. So what that led to in my observations, we have a massive culture of people that think of food only as a source of energy. Right. And they shop for food like they shop for gasoline. <laughs> But yeah. what I teach my Deeper students is you need to realize that food's not just energy. It's also information. Yeah. And information is what makes energy do things. It's why proteins get folded a certain way. It's why yeah. you have the structure you have. If you put energy in formation, you have a body or a tree or something tangible. Absolutely. Otherwise, it would just be pure potential. Yeah. And because the things that we eat carry information that is either symbiotic and supportive of our cellular systems and our biological systems, or it's chaos and confusion. For example, if someone drinks enough caffeine, they'll start to jitter and shake sure. and sweat and their mind will start racing. So there's a point at which that information is no longer supportive to achieving an objective. It actually becomes stressful to the body. Yep. So I think if people would start simply realizing that if food isn't food that we've learned to adapt to and know is healthy for human beings over thousands of years, that it actually may be detrimental to the system, no matter how good some athlete says it is, or some laboratory says Absolutely. it is. You know? Yeah. I mean, it's a uh, obsessive focus on quantity over quality in yeah. our education system or, or even in nutrition research. Yes. So they're always look, the idea is like a carbohydrate is a carbohydrate, yeah. no matter what food it comes from. And Very a fat dangerous. is a fat, no matter yeah. what. 
And so you get then this really faddish kind of focus on low fat yeah. know, for, for so long. And then it, now it's low carb and everyone should be on low carb yes. and keto. And it's just, instead of looking at like, what is the quality of the food and yeah. to, you know, use your terminology, what information does it provide? Yeah. Um, I think that's where, uh, to your point, nutrition research and nutrition education has gone really off the track. Very much so. And, 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 and then, you know, you can see that because there's the, and I know you'll have come into this with functional medicine for sure. There's this underlying assumption that if we can produce a vitamin or a hormone in a laboratory synthetically, that is just the same as the one that right. we're copying. Right. But, you know, when you, you know, one of the guys I studied a lot was uh, Royal Lee. And uh, he, he uh, for example, said that in nature, there's no such thing as isolate vitamins. You can't find right. them anywhere. Yeah. And that in nature, all vitamins occur in complexes within which there's a fat, protein, carbohydrate, yeah. enzymes, minerals, trace minerals, phenolics, terpenes, yeah. alkaloids, <laughs> and that they function as a collective. And his yeah. analogy is what part of a watch tells time? The whole thing. Yeah. yeah. So when they, yeah. he, he makes it very clear that even today, they don't have the technology to actually reproduce a vitamin complex. So they only reproduce small fragments of it that they can patent. And then actually people eat that. And then he shows that what happens is, is your body has to actually rebuild the complex to use it. So you yeah. take a bunch of ascorbic acid, but it could actually produce a deficiency of another trace mineral or another chemical needed sure. to activate the um, yeah. vitamin complex. So, you know, you see all this sort of Fred Flintstone's vitamins, get these, you know, the, uh, all these protein powders that are fortified with vitamins, but people yeah. don't realize that stuff's toxic to the body. It's confusing to the body. And it's no different than when uh, people use synthetic hormones for, for PMS and things like that. I've seen mountains of trouble with that. Yeah. Yeah. That f food synergy is such an important concept, understanding the relationship between all the cofactors yeah. and enzymes, as you said, and the nutrients themselves. And that, that just really comes out of our reductionist yes. philosophy overall, which is what our conventional allopathic medical paradigm evolved from. Yes. Just the, this idea that you can isolate the parts from the whole yeah. and understand them that way, yeah. which is, of course, preposterous. And, yes. and now, even in conventional medical science, that it's, you know, people who are really paying attention to the research, like, you can't really reconcile that view, that Cartesian reductionist view with what we know about, you know, from quantum physics right. and psychoneuroimmunology yes. and biopsychosocial medicine. Exactly. That it's all connected and there's yeah. no way to take these pieces out. But uh, unfortunately, you know, the, at least our current, current dominant paradigm is not caught up with those newer understandings. No, you know? it's, it's, it's actually quite interesting too, because here's how I will couch this to you. If Donald Trump says something nasty to some woman, we all know about it in 10 seconds and it's on the evening news. Right. But if we make breakthrough discoveries in the science of nutrition and health and healing, yeah. you never hear about it. And if you actually tell people about it, they think you're some kind of a weirdo. Yeah. Yeah. You know, which really boils down to social conditioning, brainwashing, yeah. Yeah. right? We have, we have a culture that's very brainwashed by corporations to believe exactly what they want them to believe to end up as unhealthy as they want them to be so that they're profitable and if you look into the drug companies, they got drugs scheduled out for you from cradle to grave. Every step of the way, they got you, they got a little net waiting for you. Yeah, I mean, the, the, uh, there used to be some science journalists uh, at one time. And now it seems, uh, at least as far as I can tell, is um, most people who are reporting on studies are just basically pulling something from the AP Newswire. They're not critically analyzing yeah. it at all. They're not even reading the original study. No. They're not applying any kind of critical thinking to it. Yeah. Uh, and I see studies like this every day that come out and the reporter just basically regurgitates what the researchers said without doing any fact checking at all. And it's totally a disservice to the yeah. public because when people see something, in print or you know on the internet they think it's true but they do and yeah. it's even happening in places i wouldn't have expected it like for years i've been a subscriber to the newsletter what doctors don't tell you by lynn mctaggart and her husband brian and i've written a number of articles for their what doctors don't tell you magazine over the years and i've watched 
as they've progressed. And I've noticed that they're putting out all sorts of information now that I don't agree with at all. And right. it conflicts with other things that they've said. And so one minute you have, oh, you know, wine's good for your heart or aspirin's good for it. Next minute it's not good for your heart. Right. And it's, oh, peanuts can do this for you. No peanuts. So right. what I see is that we have so many media outlets that keep publishing facts, i.e. in quotes, right. not real facts, but yeah. facts that con contradict each other. Yeah. And one of the common things I hear from my students is, Paul, how do we make decisions? Because experts that are equally qualified on every issue yeah. don't agree with each yeah. other. And I always say, well, that's, that's the day you get to be an adult and start thinking for yourself <laughs> yeah. and pay attention to what you're doing to yourself. Uh, yeah, I, I mean, I totally get that. People just start tuning out because, I mean, eggs are the perfect example, right? Eggs good, eggs are bad, eggs are good, yes. eggs are bad. That, no, that goes back and forth like every two weeks. And the whole egg's bad. You got to eat white. Yeah, then, no, then, you got to eat the yolk. <laughs> right. Um, but I think that also gets back to your previous point about um, too much of a reductionist focus on diet. It's yeah. not about almonds or eggs or peanuts no. or this or that any food component it's yeah. about what is the overall quality of the diet yes are we eating nutrient dense whole unrefined foods that are grown ideally locally and, and organically, organically yeah. that you know and if we're eating animal products are we eating pasture-raised animal products yeah. wild-caught fish foods as close to the natural state in which you know humans have been eating them for millennia yeah um, many, if we, if we are, we're doing pretty good. Yeah. Like, like forget about, I mean, yeah, we can talk about macronutrient ratios and all that stuff and it can get pretty complex, yeah. but I think people tend to get a little bit too focused on the minutia yeah. <laughs> on the individual components and not enough on the gestalt of what our diet well, is. Well, you know, we, we also suffer from serious issues of intellectualism. And, yep. and Carl Jung beautifully said, intellectualism is a common cover-up for fear of direct experience. Yep. And I think part of what's happened with the way we've, uh, uh, the culture has been brainwashed by religion and science and media is that we've actually produced a world full of people that look to some external authority to right. tell them what to do about everything from how they handle their sex life to what car they buy, to what medicines, to what foods. And so we ultimately have people that don't engage the direct experience of paying attention to what am I doing? How did I feel after I ate that hot dog? Or how did I feel after I drank that soda pop? And maybe it felt better, but what happened after that? And how do I feel now that I've been drinking soda pop every day for a month? And oh, by the way, I can't do without it. Well, good, you got an addiction now. We even had, I mean, it went further than that, uh, maybe less so now, but um, my wife, when she was growing up and as a teenager had skin problems, you know, had acne as many teenagers do. And she went into the doctor and she actually, she just intuitively felt and knew that there was some connection between her diet and her skin food, yeah. asked her and a doctor about that. And of course the doctor rolled his eyes and said, that's ridiculous. There's no connection between what you eat and your skin. No, no. You, <laughs> you, know? you get your skin replaced at the skin shop. <laughs> they were actively dissuading people from, act, yeah. from, from using that intuitive sense to, to guide their choices because yeah. uh, it didn't fit into that paradigm. I don't even think it was 20 years ago and doctors were still telling most patients that nutrition was bullshit. Right. Had but nothing to do with health or disease. But as soon as they yeah. got enough financial indicators that if they could take it over and own it, they could get rich. They started trying to control it. Yeah. I mean, uh, you, you mentioned um, just now uh, the, the intellectualism. There was yeah. a, a researcher in Australia. I can't remember how I came across the, his work, but he's coined this phrase nutritionism. Yes. Which is basically a reductionist approach to nutrition yeah. where you all, all your focus is is purely on the components of food, the molecular basis of food, the you know, carbohydrate, fat, even the nutrient levels of food, yeah. independently of the context in which the food is grown, yeah. how it is eaten, what other foods is it eaten with, yeah. um, all of these important things that really um, again I think are the most crucial things that we need to be thinking about when it comes to food, but it don't fit our, our, our Cartesian um, uh, reductionist paradigm. Yeah. Do you work in the health or fitness profession? What was your dream when you started? 
Did you want a career where you could really impact someone else's life in a profound way and the satisfaction of knowing that you do good and important work? When you watch your clients succeed, when you see them smash their PR, finally living pain-free or fitting into their dream wedding dress, did you feel that immense sense of being alive and rooted in your life's purpose? Our check train professionals feel that sense and they feel it often. And it's because they're mastering a powerful system of holistic health created by Paul Check, a system that gives them deep insights into human health and performance and the tools to help their clients reach their goals like no other system. Now you can learn that system yourself through the Czech Academy, the most structured, comprehensive and affordable way to complete the entire Czech system of training. The Czech Academy structures all of Paul's books, correspondence courses and live advanced training programs into a digestible monthly learning program, enabling you to absorb every drop of knowledge while still maintaining your own business. Plus, you'll be supported by a mentor, get business training, and have an entire community of passionate academy students on the same journey as you. That means you'll be able to implement everything you learn and grow your practice into a flourishing business that supports your dreams. It's all available to you, starting now, for an affordable monthly fee. Ready to apply? Visit us at checkacademy.com to get started. That's checkacademy.com. Now, back to Paul. It's very interesting, too, because my own observation, both metaphysically and through studying science, you know, we've got this whole, and we have had it now for, you know, 25 years, is the biotech movement, genetically modified foods and Monsanto and, you know, pesticides being engineered into plants. And, and so it's at the point now where I, I don't know what the percentage is, but it's got to be high because only four to 6% of all the food in the world eaten is or that's or eaten is organic. So yeah. 90, 94, roughly to 96% of the food eaten in the world is not organic, which means it's commercial. And the statistics vary from 30% to 50% of that is now genetically modified. If you're eating like standard American diet, uh, you know, the sad crap diet, uh, yeah. standard American diet, carbohydrates, refined foods, additives, and preservatives, yeah. sad crap. Says it all. Yeah. And the point I'm making though, is that in our natural foods that come from a natural environment, the genome what I see the genome to be is actually an, a cosmic antenna that taps into frequencies, both of the earth, the elements, earth, water, fire, air, and connections to things like planetary influences. And, that, and you know, Steiner, for example, showed you could tell which planet had the greatest influence on any given plant by measuring the length of the stalk and calculating the ratio that the branches came off the stem and mathematically showed that correlated to the ellipse of that planet around the sun, its orbit around the sun, and he could show you how the mathematical, so he could say these plants come from Saturn's influence. These ones come from Mercury, these ones come from Venus, and it's actually in his teachings. But the reason I bring that up is because the DNA, if we look at that as a system of gathering information, tuning into the specific frequencies and the biological frequencies. I just think what light does to our eyes, right? And think what uh, certain smells do it to us, right? You can use aromatherapy. All you got to do is let someone smell something like clary sage, and it can take them into all sorts of repressed childhood memories, but it's really a smell that's affecting their body, which is affecting its total connection to whether it be the morphogenic field or their field of mind or whatever. But the thing is, they're all wired together is what I'm saying. And what's happening in my observation is we're producing all these foods that doesn't actually have the DNA. Therefore, it doesn't connect to the frequencies that integrate themselves to make a human living system what it is. I'm, I'm curious what your thoughts are on that viewpoint. Well, yeah, I mean, I, I think in general, I would say our entire modern lifestyle, including our food, is pretty far divorced from the natural world at this point. And that's really, I think we're suffering more than we even know or yeah. are willing to admit from yeah. that. Um, I think, uh, you know, again, our genes and our biology, we evolved in a certain kind of environment that where we were 
spending a lot of time outdoors. Yeah. We were living in, in, uh, in harmony with the natural rhythm of light and dark. We and even when we were indoors. We were still outdoors. Exactly. <laughs> dirt, we were more or less outdoors. And we yeah. had wooden walls yeah. and trees Ab and thatch. Absolutely. And we were, you know, naturally active. Yeah. Like we walked 10, 12,000 steps a day. We lifted heavy things. Yeah. We ran, sprinted when we had to. Yeah. Uh, we lived in tight knit tribal social groups. Yeah. I think that's a huge one for human beings. I mean, our entire evolutionary history up until very recently and still in many parts of the world, that's still how they live. Yes. But, but we're hardwired for those kinds of social connections, which when you're living in like a nuclear family arrangement in the, in the suburbs, which many of us do now, we don't get that richness of social connections. Yeah. So, and all the Facebook book and all that stuff, research it, is showing it's actually not same. enhancing it no, at all. It's no. actually making it worse. Yeah. They find the rates of uh, ice, sense of isolation and the rate of suicide is actually going higher as people engage media forums instead of actual relationships. Yeah. I'm actually, my, my talk here at Paleo FX is on technology addiction. So this oh, good. is something I'm paying a lot of attention to. And yeah, there's a lot of research showing higher rates of anxiety and depression and then behavioral disorders like ADHD, yeah. especially in kids. Yeah. And there's some research to suggest that uh, creativity in kids is declining for the first time since they've been measuring it. I wouldn't doubt it. Speculate is because of the use of these devices. They're really important developmental things that happen for kids when they're just bored. Yes. When they're not paying attention to something, when they're not distracted. It's called the default mode. Yes. It's a part of our brain that's engaged when we're not actively focused on something and it's where innovation happens it's where creativity happens it's where autobiographical self-planning happens where we make sense of our experience yes. integrate it into ourselves yeah and we're raising now an entire generation of kids and young people who do not know how to be alone no without being distracted yes and, and i'm scared actually about the con the, the consequences well the consequences are pretty severe if you look into the crystal ball about 20 yeah. years down the line or, yeah. or sooner yeah yeah these are all real issues. And isn't it interesting that Rudolf Steiner, who developed the Waldorf system, wanted to keep kids' toys not too over the top, made of wood, wanted to teach them arts and crafts before they got into reading and left brain activities. And now when you take your kid to a Steiner school, they want you to cut screen time and TV time as, as, as you know, to non-existent zero, if yeah. you can get away with it, yeah. you know? and. Yeah. Full disclosure, my daughter goes to a Waldorf school for a large, I mean, I, for many reasons, but this yeah. is one big reason because yeah. I do not want her to be uh, in a group of people where uh, kids where, uh, you know, when, when I, she goes over for a play date, they sit in front of a TV and watch Disney movies it's, for, it's, for the whole time. It's absolutely wild. And, and I'll tell you something interesting too from my, you know, I spent 20 plus 25 years traveling the world teaching all over the place and Russia and everywhere. And um, in 1996, maybe, maybe 97, might have even been 98. I'm suspecting 97. I was giving a, a course at the uh, University of Sydney in Sydney, Australia. And uh, it just so happened that my hotel room window looked right at a McDonald's. And one morning, I'm, I, I woke up and I heard the sounds of all these voices of little kids, like piles of them, right? right. And I thought, what in the hell am I next to a elementary school or something? I opened the window and it was a McDonald's and the walkway to the front door was there and they were having some kind of special on, you know, happy meals or some right. damn thing where they're giving mm -hmm. toys away. Right. And I looked out the window, there must've been 200 kids lined up and Almost every one of these kids had a cell phone. And this is like back... In 98. Yes, when wow. cell phones here were like these big heavy things and they cost <laughs> yeah. you like three grand or yeah, something, wow. you know? Wow. And they were so far ahead of us with cellular technology. And so I started talking around like, how in the world are all these kids affording cell phones? And if they can afford a cell phone, what the hell are they doing and eating McDonald's? Right. And people t told me, they said, oh, you know, cell phone technology is a lot cheaper here than it is anywhere else in the world because a lot of the big companies do their research and development over here. So yeah. Australia is kind of like a testing ground for this stuff. Yeah. yeah. And I was mind boggled that the the the... And just to finish my point before you expand, um, I found a research study looking at the uh, opinions on what children thought about key things. And one of the studies showed that 90% of Australian 8 to 10-year-olds 
thought that their uh, that Ronald McDonald knew more about nutrition than their mother. <laughs> so how's that? There's your brainwashing <laughs> yeah, yeah. and your marketing. Uh, yeah, I mean it, it's it's really something I I, uh, I focus on a lot now because I think it's kind of the elephant in the room in in many cases yeah. where you know we can talk a lot about and should about nutrition and sleep and stress and all of that, but the average adult now is spending four hours a day on the screen it's that's, pretty that's the, you know what that works out to 56 full days a year yeah that's pretty intense looking at the screen and for yeah. a kid the a se- the average seven-year-old kid that's you know a kid is born today by the time they're seven they will have spent one year of their seven years on a screen i saw a research uh paper that said um Today, children will have spent more time watching television commercials by the time they graduate high school than they did spend time in high school. Yeah. Yeah. Teens are spending more time on screens than uh, getting sleep. And we know that teens are really sleep deprived right now. Yes. Young kids are spending more time on screens than, than at school. And uh, the thing that's, that's, I think a lot of people don't realize about this is, again, it comes back to our evolutionary programming. Yeah. We are programmed to seek out distraction because in a natural environment, if we or seek out both information and distraction, because if, for example, you're in, uh, in the natural environment at the, uh, in the savanna and you see something in your peripheral vision... That's something could have been trying is. to kill you. Or, or, right? or sneaking up on yeah, you to do that. Yeah, sneaking up on you to kill you. It's a predator or somewhat, you know, a hostile person. Yes. So uh, that distraction, that distractibility was a survival advantage yes. in a natural environment. Mm-hmm. But of course, now when these devices are actually uh, specifically and explicitly designed to distract us as much as possible, yeah. that works against us. And so well, we're fighting against that hardwire programming once again. And isn't it paradox that the distraction is because we are being hunted? Exactly. That's what people don't get. Yeah. So the, and you know this, I'm sure, but these technology companies, they employ scientists that they call brain hackers. Yes. And their job is to figure out ways to maximize the amount of attention that we spend on their platform. Because uh, we talk about being the customers of Google and Facebook and Instagram. We're not their customers, we're their products. Yes, exactly. And the specific product is our attention. Exactly. So the more attention we give to these platforms, the more profit they make to their real customers from their real customers, which are the companies that they sell advertising against our attention to. Well, basically for them, you could make a formula where attention goes, money flows. That's the algorithm. And if you get people to put their attention on an iPhone, you'll sell a shitload of them. Every app that is designed today, every game, every web service is all they all share this in common. The name of the game is to maximize attention. And yeah. that's why things like autoplay with Netflix, mm-hmm. you know, like if you, it used, you know, it, it used to be that if you watch something on Netflix, it would just stop Yeah. or YouTube. And now autoplay is so that you will just keep watching yes. the next thing, whether you want to watch it or not. Yeah. It just automatically makes that assumption for you. You know, Netflix never used to have previews either. Right. And now yeah, the previews over. run exactly. all the time. All designed to maximize attention because the more time you spend on the platform, the more profit that they can make. And I like to, I, I, I really try to explain that to people because it takes it out of the realm of only just being an individual or personal failure. Uh, like I'm addicted and it's all my fault. So yeah. Like there is, there is a, a, an industry out there that is exploiting your basic human vulnerabilities to make profit. Yes. <laughs> and I think for some people hearing that allows them to wake up in a way that, you know, if they're stuck in just blame and, and shame a, a, around their use of technology, that like, no, you're actually being manipulated and exploited here yes, for, you're, you're for basically, someone else's game. You've, you've been hijacked. Yeah. And your kids are, and they're doing that Very to your kids hijacked. too. Yeah. And are you going to let someone do that to your kids? Yeah. You know, like if you explain it that way, people get angry as yeah. they should be. And it shifts the equation a little bit, but it, it's hard because I mean, it's, it's just one one person with their basic human vulnerabilities that we all share against an army of engineers yeah. that is just sitting there all day fiddling dials on a on a on a um, you know algorithm machine to try to change our behavior in ways that we're not even aware it, that it's they're cha- doing that it. they're doing it. You know, there's an interesting thing that I tell my students and and various people in my discussions around the world, and 
you know, they made subliminal marketing illegal. And I'm sure you probably remember yeah. that, right? So because it was considered to be thieving, you know, yeah. like stealing, con yeah. uh, coercing people. But what they've never really let out of the bag is that light has an almost infinite capacity to carry information, just like energy. And if you look at wave technology, you can stack waves on top of waves on top of waves. So you can have one base signal that can carry an infinite number of signals inside of it. And sort of an analogy I give people is, think of a surfer riding a wave. We'll call that uh, 10 hertz. If that surfer wobbles his board while he's going down right. the wave, he can put waves on top of waves. And so because people aren't aware that you can encode massive amounts of information in light, you are actually getting unconsciously programmed to have urges to buy things and do all sorts of stuff that you normally wouldn't have if you were just watching the Waltons or you know, whatever your show is, but when they start actually using it to access your unconscious mind to create urges, and they've, and I've seen patents on military technology that's, you know, 15, 20 years old. I've even seen tests. They've got guns. They can point them into crowds and make them afraid or make them have the urge to buy things. And this military technology that they actually have uh, been caught using and there's research reports on it. The, the point I'm leading to though is that People don't realize that when you're constantly looking at a screen, you're constantly downloading information and your senses are only picking up a tiny bit of what's being downloaded into you. Yeah. And there's also, I mean, you may have heard this, but Facebook, there was a leak at Facebook and also Instagram where they found that they were, Instagram, for example, was um, holding, they had algorithms that would hold back the releasing likes for a photo until the time where they were able to, to determine by the user's behavior where they most needed to receive those likes and they would be most likely to stay on the platforms, particularly, oh. particularly with like teenage girls and, wow. and you know, young, younger girls. And so they're, they're explicitly, again, manipulating basic human vulnerabilities with these algorithms to maximize the amount of time you spend on the platform. And, but to end user who's doing that, they have no idea that no, that's happening no. in the background. And they just think, oh, you know, it, it just feels like they're changing their behavior on their own accord rather than yes. being manipulated. Yeah. And there, there's a growing number of people, I, I'm talking about them in my presentation, who are, are like former Google employees, former Facebook employees who are basically whistleblowers. Good. Who've quit their, quit their positions and are now going around speaking about this because it, it's criminal. It's did, criminal. Did, did you see that movie? I don't remember the title, but it was a movie about a girl who ended up going to work for a phone company and everybody was brainwashed. No. Oh, man. Sounds good. I, you guys know the name of that movie? Oh, I got her. I, when I remember it, I'll tell it to yeah. you, but it'll blow your mind. It was yeah. really well done. But yeah. this girl who was kind of trying to find her way in life the only place in town, this one huge corporation that was kind of the thing that kept the whole economy going. And if you didn't work there, there was something wrong with you. You're, you're yeah. kind of a second-class citizen. Yeah. So lo and behold, she ends up getting a job there. And, I, and she's a very intelligent girl. And as she's working there, she's realizing like, wow, there's a lot of weird stuff going on here. Like they want you to be at certain meetings. And then they, she realizes, oh, that there's speeches to program you to behave in certain ways. And then if you weren't posting everything you did on the phone all day, somebody said, well, what were you doing yesterday at two o'clock? I didn't see anything for you. And they realize everybody's just staring at each other all day. And they're not even living their own lives. But the whole movie is about how an entire culture is brainwashed. And they don't realize that they're, they're, they've basically, their soul has been taken over by a corporation. Yeah, well, I was reflecting on this as I prepared my talk. When the Wachowski brothers made The Matrix, this was back in 1999. There was no Facebook. There right. was no Instagram. Social media didn't really exist. We were all still using flip phones if we had one. Yeah at all yeah and yet so, some might argue that the society that they predicted which was a, a group uh, you know society of humans being controlled <laughs> somewhat by machines and yes. machine algorithms has, has come to pass i mean it's yeah. humans that are programming those machines still right but for now for now <laughs> yeah exactly but there's I mean, also a lot of discussion on um and I've heard elon musk talk about this yeah. on facebook and google and many of these other companies those are the These main AIs, ones, yeah. AI, but yeah. they're actually developing and using they're AI. getting to a point where the programmers don't even understand 
the how, decisions that they're making. Right. What they do. And, and then yeah. it, it's more advanced than they can process. Yeah. Hey, Canada. This August 14th to 18th, Paul is traveling to Toronto for the 2019 CanFit Pro Fitness Convention. So if you've been looking for an opportunity to learn directly from Paul, then here's your chance. Join Paul on August 14th and 15th for the Czech Life Alchemy for Health and Performance Workshop. He'll teach you a powerful system to identify the etiology behind your client's observable symptoms. You'll understand how our physiological regulatory systems, the elemental forces, and the mind all influence each other, and what this means for the challenges that your clients face. You'll learn assessments, awareness training, and a suite of tools to help clients change the habits that are at the root of their problems. This workshop will revolutionize both the way you work with your clients and the results you get with them. Wrap up the convention on August 18th with a full day with Paul on stretching in his scientific stretching workshop. Stretching is such an integral part of any exercise program, yet there is tremendous inconsistency and uncertainty around how to stretch for optimal results. In this workshop, Paul will share both the art and the science of the approach that he has developed for flexibility training, based on over 35 years of clinical experience conditioning world-class athletes and rehabilitating orthopedic injuries. You'll learn when and how to use different stretching techniques for the most common problems that cause tight muscles, plus hands-on practice with specific stretches that you can use immediately. This is eight hours of Paul on one of the most fundamental components of any fitness program. You won't want to miss this workshop. During the convention, Paul will also be presenting four other lectures, The Essentials of Overcoming Addictive Behavior, 21st Century Spirituality, Hormones, a Critical Link to Health, Performance and Consciousness, and Red, Yellow, Green Days, To Work Out or Not to Work Out. To register for the workshops or any of these sessions, go to canfitpro.com forward slash convention 2019 and then search for Paul Check under Presenters. And if you're attending the convention, make sure you stop by the trade show and say hello at the Czech Institute booth. We'd love to meet you. Now, back to Paul and this episode of the Living 4D podcast. I've even uh, seen um, documentaries showing kids in science contests in, in high school that have designed robots that self-program to learn how to manage any environment so they can right. change the environment. And there's actually not a programmer programming it. There's a program to teach it how to program itself. Yep. So we're, we're seeing even at high school levels now that they're actually getting robotics to sort of a, an environmental scanning self-programming, which is really close to artificial intelligence. Yeah. I mean, it just, to me, it's, it all, it's another um, indication that we're just getting further and further away from, from, our, from core. our core and who yeah. we really are as human beings. What does it mean to be a human being? I mean, these are questions that are really, <laughs> have always been important. They've always really been important. important now in our age. But you know, they're getting harder to answer now because nobody's sitting still. You and yeah. I both know, I think, yeah. to get the answer to those questions, you got to sit very still yeah. or all you hear is your ego bouncing around. Yeah. But yeah. to get past, the, the 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 reality that's also an illusion called self you've got to be able to be still and be present with yourself and and you know it's very interesting and i just mentioned this on a podcast i was on um this earlier right before you yeah. if you go see a real shaman because you have a health problem typically they're going to ask you four or five key questions and i'll tell you those questions are you familiar with them no these are the questions that tell a shaman where you started losing yourself and how you did it. Yeah. So they can look into your timeline because once you answer these questions, you'll say, ah, that's, we'll see a pattern here. So the first question is, when did you stop singing? The second question is, when did you stop dancing? The third question is, when did you stop enjoying stories? The fourth question is, when did you stop enjoying being alone with yourself? Ah. 
And the final question is, when did you lose your sense of the awe, the magic, and the mystery for life itself? Brilliant. Love this and, question. And so there is real medicine. Yeah, That's absolutely. Those, when did you stop singing? That means when did you stop being happy? Yeah. When did you stop dancing? When did you stop expressing yourself naturally and spontaneously? When did you stop enjoying stories? Not, not bullshit made up manufactured crap, but the story of someone who climbed Mount Everest or yeah. the someone who you know, uh, flew around the world in an airplane for the first time ever, or someone yeah. who broke the four minute mile or somebody who, you know, did something that inspires us to know that we can grow right now. What do we have? We have like all this fake shit where you got Vin Diesel and everybody flying through the air, doing triple backflips, all computer generated stuff. And so kids are actually losing their sense of what reality really is. Absolutely. And, you know, as I mentioned, that the there's a a real concern about the num uh, kids not even being able to spend time alone at all. Yes, and and, and so I think a lot of people at, th at this point, you know, at a certain age, would fail, would would not be able, would be able to say never to that question. Like, when did you? When yes. was the last time that you were comfortable being alone? I can't remember a time that I was ever alone without the intermediation of this device. Yes. There was a, a, a study that was done where they um, asked people to sit in a room for 15 minutes on their own and the, uh, or uh, they could, when they were in the room, they could give themselves an electric shock <laughs> And the average person Chose shocked the themselves shock? 42 times wow. during the 15-minute period, even though they had, before the experiment started, said that they would pay to avoid the electric shock. Like, wow. it was pretty unpleasant. Yeah. And they said they would pay to avoid it before they even knew what the experiment was. Yeah. But then in that period, there were, 40, you know, there were 42 electric shocks. Yes. And one outlier shocked himself 108 times. That's why in the 15 minute rather than be alone for 15 minutes. That behavior is what I, I've got a name for that. I call it externalization of the self. You don't know who you are inside. So you have no soul life. You're totally identified by what's on the screen, what's happening, what someone else says about you. And, you know, uh, forums are very very ruthless for that yeah you know people yeah. talk in ways to each other through texting and they would never do never in do person. in person yeah. because you get your nose flattened doing that yeah. in person you know yeah. so there's no responsibility so it's actually causing in my opinion a loss of the conscious application of ethics and morals yeah empathy you don't develop empathy you unless don't. you see the, the result of your action in somebody else's eyes or, you know, on their face and their facial yes. expressions. And this is why, you know, uh, so many young people, um, there's a great book called Sherry Turkle. It's called Reclaiming Conversation. Mm -hmm. And she writes about how with many young people, they, they just don't feel capable of having, in, you know, face-to-face -face conversations or even phone conversations because of the intensity of, that real-time feedback. Yes. And they can't edit. Yeah. So like when they're, if they're having conversation on Instagram or text or they whatever, can control they can it. edit and control it completely. And then they don't have to see or feel the, the impact that it has on the other person. You made me think of something. There's two things I wanted to share with you and dialogue on a little bit. One is, you know, I run an educational institution that's multidisciplinary. So there's everybody from doctors to you name it in there. And I've been doing this. So I started my institute in 1995. So a long time ago, um, it blows my mind. We regularly get people turning in their tests and it looks like one giant text message. Right. I've seen full pages with no paragraph break, no periods, no commas, just a stream as though they wrote it all in their text messaging function. Right. And I'm like, what in the world is happening? These people, some of them have degrees from universities. I'm like, how do you interface with the world and expect to be paid and respected like a professional when you don't know how to communicate with basic grammatical syntax? Right. And I've got a ninth grade education. I go, this is bad. I mean, I'm like, you know. I got enough from my nine years in school to know how to write a paragraph. And, you know, I've written chapters and medical books and all sorts of stuff, yeah. not without editors, of course. But this is like, who would turn something like that in unless 
the the awareness of the importance of language and communication had dropped to a level where it was almost out of sight. Yeah. 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 It's, uh, I mean, the good news is we're here. We're yeah. Paleo FX. There's yeah. a growing number of people who, and through your Czech Institute and yeah. all the people that you've trained, there are that I think there, whether people are, people are suffering from everything that we're talking about yeah. and whether they're aware of the causes or not. No. Right? Yeah. And they use different ways of dealing with that suffering. Yeah. A med- you know, self-medication, yeah. uh, distraction, yeah. all kinds of different addictions. And yet I, I mean, on the, on the positive side, I do see a growing movement of people who are be- becoming more aware of the f- impacts of technology on their health. I mean, yeah. there's now like digital detox retreats yes. where you pay someone to take your phone away. You go on a vacation, <laughs> you check your phone in because you, you know, and they keep it and they will not give it to you for that entire week long period. Yeah. And, um, you know, I just talked to a growing number of people who, they know it's not working. They know something is off, but they're just not sure how to find their way back. So yeah. it's, I mean, it's, it's for me, it, my passion, and I, I imagine this is true for you too, is just to, to provide another path, like a different, um, to support people in making different choices that will yeah. bring them back to themselves. Because that's ultimately what this is about. I think what I find with, with these people is the more trapped they are in the way of living that we're talking about, the more unresolved emotions and thoughts they have and they don't know what to do with them. So I've found it's impossible to get a person to learn how to manage the flow of their own emotional energy and manage their own mind if they don't actually spend enough time inside themselves. Yeah. Yeah, so, you have to have some kind of awareness practice. Like You, do. you have to be aware of, of what you're feeling and thinking in order to change. I don't think change is possible without awareness. And I think, you know, as you were saying, obviously paleo's on and there is an, a, a movement of people that are becoming aware and there's, as you know, science coming out to say, hey, we got to be careful about this. But I also um, think that it's, um, I lost my train of thought. I had was something I was going to share there, but there was something that was on my mind about uh, the technology issue. But since I lost that train of thought for a minute there, um, no, are you familiar with with Jungian psychology at all? Just perf- like vaguely. So right. Jung, in Jungian psychology, the self with a small S E L F is synonymous with what we call an ego. Yeah. Capital S E L F. So, for example, Paramahansa Yogananda's teachings are capital S E F realization fellowship, and, yeah. and that means the self there is the God self, the, the self. connection of all, yes. which you know you could say is the world to begin with, but then the cosmos or the universe, however you, you, how far you want to take the self. But in Jungian psychology, the self is both that, but it's at a different level too. For example, for a child to survive and to, to be nurtured into the world, it has to have a family to educate it and protect it. So they're the first level of this capital S-E-L-F. For us to exist, we have to have food from the earth. We have to have water from the earth. We have to have air from the atmosphere. We have to have space. You know, space can be, if there's not enough space, it can cause a lot of stress in people. If there's too much space, it can cause stress in people. So the, the, bigger layer of the self becomes your connection to the world and to the natural resources that we need in order to be human, to be what a human being is designed to be. And what I've observed is as people have gotten more and more addicted to technology and what I consider to be one of the real dangers of artificial intelligence is that as people become more and more engrossed in and captivated by or entrained to media streams, that their awareness of what real food is, their awareness of sleep, their awareness of the necessity for movement and for breathing, and all the things that connect us to the self of the world and even the self of our family, because a lot of people in families don't talk to each other anymore. I've seen lots of people texting. I've seen husbands and wives in the airport 
texting each other three seats away, yeah. right? Yeah. So the point that I'm saying is as we get more and more, because this is all philosophically the noosphere, the sphere of mind, you're engaging the mind in these processes. And so the analogy I give is as though we're in a big hot air balloon and the higher we go up in mind, the further we get away from the earth and the more we suffer because we're like astronauts that are so far away from home and they're out in a field where there's no gravity and their bodies start to break down and we're losing our connection to each other. We're losing our connection to what really makes life. And once artificial technology and artificial intelligence reaches a point where it potentially decides it doesn't need human beings and it doesn't need all these natural systems, we may actually come to a tipping point where we're actually forced to be cut off from the self of the world. I'm wondering well, if you've so ever thought of that reality. I've thought a lot about it. I mean, some people actually want that to happen. Like you have like the Ray Kurzweils yes, who I, want to upload their consciousness and be completely divorced from their bodies for um, eternal life, you know? And to me, that's, that's just a, a, a perfect example of... Um, how much we're suffering as a culture and as a people like the idea that you can even have consciousness that's separate from the body i mean yes. there, there's a whole group of scientists and, and philosophers which i who i agree with who argue that there is no such thing as consciousness that's separate from a body um, in the way that we understand consciousness at least because it evolved through the interaction of our body with the environment and through yeah. our senses and that impacts our consciousness but I think if people have lived a life where they have been out of their body for most of the time, the yeah. body can be an unpleasant and unpredictable and threatening and scary place and not to be. And so then and the attention goes towards like getting even further out of the body yeah. rather than getting back into it um, because they have not had the experience of really fully being in the body in a, in a pleasurable and present way. And the other thing is, is as a medicine man, spirit guide, better known as a shaman, who's been very far out of his body, both on Tai Chi and meditations, I've been so far out, I didn't even know I had a body. I didn't know I had a name or a place. Um, this, this comment you made is coming from what I would call a middle space that's not grounded to either reality. Because if you get far enough out of your body, it's the scariest damn thing that'll ever happen yeah. to you. Yeah. Because one, you your your soul is locked into your biology by the respiratory act. That's what creates the polarity differential that keeps your consciousness phase locked into your body. So once your breath stops and that body can no longer anchor the soul because the polarity for the you can call it, it would be wrong, but it's, think of it as electromagnetism, right? If your consciousness is anchored into your body because the act of respiration, which creates a polarity differential, oxygen is highly paramagnetic, water is highly diamagnetic, and tissues are highly diamagnetic. So every time you bring oxygen in, you create a massive polarity differential. And that polarity differential creates a field of action. And it's in that field of action that our consciousness as our sense of self exists. But if you stop breathing and you die, that polarity differential is gone. And now you cannot isolate a person's sense of self to a location. You're everywhere and nowhere simultaneously. And believe me, when people have that experience, it scares the bejesus out of them. And, and so... Then if you get trapped into a body that's very unhealthy and, and sick and diseased, you've now got the opposite problem. Now you're confined and you, you can become highly claustrophobic in the very body that should be the object of your love and attention first and foremost because that's what gives you the chance to live. So the point is, guys like Ray Kurzweil don't seem to have appreciated the fact that there's more to consciousness than just consciousness and you and and the health of your body and the re conscious relationship or the conscious experience you have are phase locked because consciousness the experience of consciousness steps itself down in the chakras from the noosphere or the vibration of mind to the vibration of the emotional astral realm to the vibration of the etheric realm 
then steps down into the nadis and the meridians into the glands and, and, and therefore you have the hormonal interface. So what we think of as a thought actually interfaces through these step-down processes, which I don't know if you've seen uh, William Tiller's book, Science and Human Transformation. You'd find it fascinating. It's very deep. There's some heavy, heavy mathematics in it. But I'm not a, a heavy math guy. When I went to electronic school, I couldn't wait to get that out of my head because it was so draining <laughs> yeah, for me. Yeah, math is not my strong suit. Either. But you can read between the lines, and yeah. William A. Tiller is a genius, genius scientist. So what you see is that we're in this matrix, and there's an interface. So at, down at the bottom, you have physical material, and at the top, you have mind. And, and even uh, Carl Jung and Marie-Louise von Franz referred to the psyche as a rainbow bridge between the matter weighable, measurable, tangible of our bones and our toenails and our teeth to mind itself, which is non-local. So the psyche really is this rainbow bridge and the DNA in my model is what interfaces us with this rainbow bridge. So if you get too far to either end of that, you're not really living anymore. Yeah. You either become a stone or you become space itself. And then how do you have a relationship with someone? Because you're now like a drop that's returned to the ocean. But once you return to the ocean, there's no individuality anymore. Yeah. I mean, that, that, that I've never really been able to fully understand the, uh, I forget, what, what's the name? Uh, there's a name for uh, Ray, uh, folks who have Ray Kurzweil's aspirations. Oh, who, I'm not who sure. Who believe in the singularity. I'm forgetting the name of this group, but it's yeah. essentially it's a group of people who Want, very much want to merge with machines and and basically leave their bodies behind so they can, uh, you know, have their their thought consciousness in in the cloud, so to speak. Yeah, and I think I, I, I don't get it. I think there's a lot missing in that concept. There's things about there's things about being human that I don't think can be transferred strictly as um, bits. I agree. And I, I, I mean, there are a number of philosophers and scientists who've argued that, as I said, like that they doubt that consciousness can even arise without a body because it's yeah. our whole experience of uh, our consciousness is mediated by our experience of our senses and the environment around us. Yeah. But, uh, yeah. I mean, it, it, it feels to me like a wound. Like it's, yeah. it's an unhealed wound that is leading to that kind of mentality. And, and uh, I mean, AI is definitely, that's a whole nother discussion, but you know, the, the, and whether, you know, humans will um, survive in our, in our current form, just the way that things are going. But yeah. uh, I, I don't know, all of this to me makes me want to get closer into my humanity, me not, too. not further away from it. Well, the thing is, is that, I think this is sort of an, a, a, a symptom of an existential angst where they, they haven't really found the joy of being human. They haven't found the joy of breathing and running and playing and, and being in nature. And they've gotten too caught up in the rat race in the world and the intellectual achievements and identifying themselves by their degrees or their accomplishments. And, you know, so you, you see that we're forgetting how to be a human being and what it means to be a human being. And we're kind of like these monkeys that are smart enough to be really dangerous to themselves in the world. And the problem is when you get these Kurzweil types, those people, because of their lack of connection, also have no empathy for the planet. To them, it's just dirt and trees and it's a resource to be utilized however they want. And I think that you see that reflected in the nutrition community, because if you really understood how the soil worked and how the elements work together, you wouldn't be eating soylent green plastic shit. Right. I, I remember I was doing research years ago to write my book, how to eat, move and be healthy. And I came, I was studying, um, food processing corporations like General Mills so journals for the food processing corporation. And I happened to be, I think it was at UCSD library and they had some of them on the shelf and I picked one, I was just flipping through it. And one of them said, Lord Sainsbury is awarded food salesman of the year by the synthetic food manufacturing company. He got the record. I think it was 2001 or two. He sold $13 billion worth of synthetic foods in the UK alone. He was the UK science minister at one point, I think. 
if Mind it's the boggling. same Lord Sainsbury, so that, that's I think there's only some, one. Some, some conflict of interest there. Isn't that a wild thing? Like, <laughs> yeah. this guy's getting rewarded for selling $13 billion worth yeah. of non-foods to creatures that only live on food. And I'm like, this is how fucked up our culture is getting. We're rewarding a guy for poisoning humanity. Yeah, it's, it's, it's backwards for sure. Great conversation. Yeah, Lots more it. I'd like to talk about. And one thing I'd love to talk about with you because it's a real passion of mine, is consciousness. Do we need to have a body? What does that entail? And all the things about that, because there's many things I wanted to share, but I held back because I, we have a time limitation, and these are not things you want to do a snow job on if you right. want to really get in. <laughs> right. So someday maybe we can get into that right. together. Cool. Where do people find out more about your institute, what you offer? And you have a great book. I read a lot of your book, and it was quite fantastic. What Thank was the you. title of it? Uh, that's, the first book was The Paleo Cure. And it's really, that's, uh, you know, diet lifestyle. It's not a, a hardcore paleo book, as you know, from yeah. reading it. Just eat, I think you know. I read another one yeah, with a red cover. The second one was called Unconventional Medicine. I, that's the one I read. Yeah. yeah. And then uh, chriscresser.com is okay. my main website. Uh, that's where you find everything, uh, information about our trainings and lots of free resources to it's stay It's K-R-E-S-S-E-R, yeah, right? C-H-R-I-S-K-R-E-S-S-E-R. Good. What a yeah. great pleasure to talk Thank to you. you and next Paul. time we got to get it. into your Buddhism and your history because you're really what I call the wounded healer. Yes. You definitely. walk your path and uh, love to talk about that more. So let's uh, let's yeah, find a time it. to get together and get into some more deep shit together. Awesome. Sounds good. All Thanks right, man. For having Thank me. you. Thank Appreciate you. it. Thank you for listening to Living 4D with Paul Check and today's guest, Chris Cresser. Follow Chris on Twitter and Instagram at Chris Cresser or on Facebook at Chris Cresser LAC. Listen to Chris's podcast, Revolution Health Radio on Apple Podcasts and read his many articles on his website, chriscresser.com. Follow Paul on Instagram and Twitter at Living4D Podcast or on his YouTube podcast channel, youtube.com forward slash Living4D with Paul Check. You can watch more on Paul's blog at paulchecksblog.com and the Czech Institute's blog at checkinstitute.com forward slash blog.